Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and today in the show, I'm joined by Kip Adams of the National Deer Association to explore the current state of deer and deer hunting across the country and the news, trends, and issues we need to pay attention to in 2022. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. Today we are beginning, uh, I guess, what you can loosely call conservation month here on the Wired Hunt podcast. Starting this week and over the next three, four, five weeks maybe, I want to explore a series of different ideas and topics related to how we have this awesome thing we call deer hunting how it is that we have deer and wild places to chase them and the good fortune to enjoy this lifestyle that we love so much. I want to, you know, take a little time here in the off season to talk about those things, to talk about how we got here, to talk about what we need to do now to make sure we can keep having these great things. So that's the game plan. It's going to be interesting. I'm excited about it. And it starts today with Kip Adams. Most of you probably know Kip. Kip is the chief conservation officer for the National Deer Association, and he's a part of an annual project in which the NDA puts together their deer report, their whitetail report they've been doing for years now, in which they break down all sorts of different trends as far as deer harvest, as far as different things going on with regulations, with participation, uh, basically getting a census of what's happening in the world of deer hunting across the country over the past year. So they just released their 2022 version of this. And today we're going to take a little bit of time to walk through some of the key findings, hear how things are going as far as deer harvest, as far as the deer age structure, as far as, you know, different trends related to how we as hunters are doing and how the herd is doing across the country. We get some updates on where things stand with disease. We break down different uh, upcoming legislation that will be important for deer and deer hunters talk a little bit about, you know, Kip's overall feelings on how we are doing in the world of whitetails now compared to where we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. We explore where he sees things headed, what's keeping him up at night, what's got him excited, and what are the things that we all as deer hunters on the ground need to be doing this year to make sure we've got great deer hunting in the future. So this is a a pretty quick one that I think is important for all of us to just get a general sense of what's happening, what do I need to pay attention to, 
and what can I do? That's our game plan for today, and that's our mission, I think, as deer hunters, right? We get to go out there and enjoy this incredible, fun activity. We get to harvest deer. We get to put deer in the freezer and antlers on the wall. But if we're going to take stuff from the land, we got to give something back. And this is the first step in learning how exactly to do that by making sure we are informed on what the hell is going on. So that's the plan for today. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for being here. And I'd say now let's just get to chat with Kip. Here we go. All right. I've got Kip Adams with me here now again on the show. Kip, thank you so much for making a return appearance. Absolutely, Mark. Always good to talk with you. I feel like you may be one of the very most uh, visited guests I've had on the show over the years. I mean, we've done at least one every year, if not multiple, some years. And we're approaching, gosh, approaching not quite there, but almost 10 years of the show. So, uh, geez, I appreciate you having patience to keep on coming on here and talking with me. Well, I'm honored, and uh, I'm glad that, uh, that I at least have something that's, I guess, a little interesting to say that you keep inviting me back. And uh, <laughs> You always do. Um, given how many we've done, I guess that uh, that's starting to date both of us, I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we've, we've been around a while, and uh, I don't know how that happened. Like like we were just talking about before we started recording, it's it's crazy how fast stuff goes. I uh, It's kind of bizarre looking over the last 10, 15 years and seeing seeing everything that's happened, but uh, I'm glad we're here still. Yeah, me too. A lot of lot of good stuff. So, uh, and, and I always enjoy talking with you. So, uh, well, we got some good stuff to talk about today. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to dig in here because as we've done every year, right around this time of year, uh, I wanted to kind of have you help us get a a sense of, I guess, a pulse on the whitetail nation. You know how things are going across the country when it comes to whitetails. How are we as hunters positioned moving into the future? What are the things we need to be thinking about in the future? You know, you guys at the National Deer Association have done such a good job of um, not only educating folks and advocating for folks, but really keeping us up to date on on what's happening and what's important and, and what we need to be focusing on. So that's kind of what I'm hoping we can do here again, Kip. And you've got the the new whitetail report that you guys put out every year. That's out now, right? And I guess what I would be curious to start with is the same question we actually started with last year. You probably don't remember this, but um, if you were to take a step back and look at the general state of affairs for white-tailed deer and deer hunters across the country right now, and if you could rate that from a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being we are in a deep pit of despair and 10 being we are flying high, times are as good as they've ever been. Where would you say, we? where are we coming on that scoreboard? We are uh, about an 8. And, uh, and there's some really positive things, Mark, that, that would likely have that a little bit higher. But that, that darn CWD that uh, continues to plague us uh, is going to pull us down a little bit. But, uh, man, there's a lot of positive things going on. So uh, at least a seven for sure, and I think closer to an eight. I like it. Now, you talked about the fact that you and I are dating ourselves, and we've been around for quite a while doing this. How would you, how would you say we sit compared to, let's say, 10 years ago when you and I were having conversations back when I was still in my old day job, sitting in the office all day, um, how would you say things stand now? So 2022 versus 2012. 
the majority of things in the deer world today are far better than they were uh, a decade ago. Um, the CWD being the, the one big exception to that, uh, but overall we have we have some really healthy deer herds from an age structure standpoint. You know, we have some some great harvest from both of the buck and the ant on the side. We have more habitat work going on than ever before. We have more hunters that are engaged than ever before. So most of what's going on in the deer world is really, really good and continues to improve decade over decade. That that whole CWD thing is pulling us back some, and and I'm sure we'll we'll address that at some point here. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, we, we've moved forward in the past decade, and uh, that, that's a testament to, to America's deer hunters and, and our state wildlife agencies. So then let's look the other direction. If you were to read the tea leaves and look, you know, we know what's happened over the last 10 years. We know where we are right now. Um, knowing the things that you know and the various conservation legislation, le- legislative issues you're part of and seeing the trajectory of our culture and habitat and wildlife populations, how good do you feel about 10 years from now? So how do you think things are going to look in 2032? I think that uh, that we're going to be way better uh, relative to the disease game than we are today. Um, I think there's some federal legislation uh, that we've been working with that's going to provide uh, a bunch of relief for state wildlife agencies to help provide more funds to to battle CWD. the, the trend relative to people wanting to enhance habitat for deer and other wildlife continues to increase. So uh, I think that's going to play out very well for us. And of course, there's so much good research going on around the country right now about deer that uh, it's positioning state wildlife agencies very well to, to have the tools that they need to continue to implement wise hunting seasons and, uh, and, and enhance health of deer herds. So um, I, I think that we are we're poised you know, for the next decade, um, partly because of hunter engagement, but also partly because of, of programs, Mark, that are, are looking at and increasing the, the knowledge around the value of deer. Um, this year's Southeast Deer Study Group is a perfect example. You know, we're hosting this, and the theme is the value of deer and deer hunting to the American public. Um, only about 4% of the U.S. population buys a hunting license. And what we see today is that while hunters fund the lion's share of wildlife management and all of our programs, you know, it's going to take more than just hunters to continue to keep wildlife healthy. Um, so as we start showing more of the impacts and, and the value of deer and deer hunters to all society at large, and, and you have done a great job of this you know, with your work and just making people realize how important deer are, as that continues to grow, I think it, it just paints a better picture for the future of deer, deer management, and then of all the other wildlife species that deer impact. So, uh, so I see the next 10 years as an exciting time for, for managers and sportsmen and women, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, that, that you're feeling good about where we're headed. Um, I, I can see a lot of those same things, and that's, that's exciting. That's, that's, I remember... I don't know what year this was, maybe 2013, so almost 10 years ago, 2013, 14, somewhere around there, 12, 13, 14, when we had a little bit of a scare, I felt, within the hunting community. You know, everyone started seeing herds dropping across some states with EHD really popping up, and there was, you know, more concerns, of course, around CWD, and hunter numbers were plummeting, and there was this this period of, uh-oh, have we lost the good old days? And it seems like we recovered from that pretty nicely. I think if 
if you had been if we'd been talking that year when we all got together and the the National Deer Alliance was started, you know, right around that time, given the, some of those concerns, I think if you told us, well, in 2022, it's going to be an eight and we're going to be feeling pretty good about 2032. I think both of us would have been pretty pleased to see, you know, where things have gone since that period. Um, uh, am I right on that? Do you, have we made a, a strong a strong stride there? Yeah, you are spot on. You know, that, that 2015, 2016, you know, kind of the, the, that era, we had several variables come together to really kick deer in the seat of the pants. You know, we had terrible hemorrhagic disease outbreaks. You know, we had two 100-year disease outbreaks, you know, within a five-year period. That's when all that land came out of CRP and, you know, in the yeah. Midwest lost like 7 million acres of, of wildlife habitat. Uh, we had increasing predator population in certain areas and plummeting fawn recruitment rates. So there was a lot going on at that time that were really, you know, hitting deer hard and, uh, uh, you know, true to their form, you know, deer are, are one of the, the most resilient species there are. And so with some good management programs with hunters stepping in, those deer herds have, have really recovered since then. And, uh, Heck, look, you know, the 2021 hunting season, uh, we shot over 6 million whitetails, which is, you know, the most that we have shot in a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, things are far, far brighter today than they were back somewhere around 2015. So what do you think, what do you think the, what do you think the headline then is if we're, we're coming off of this banner year in 2021? Uh, what's, what stands out to you as you've gone through, you've scanned through the numbers, you've interviewed and talked to various people across wildlife agencies. You guys have compiled the data. You've put together the 2022 whitetail report. What stands out for you as, as the big takeaways, as we look back on this past year or two? I think the, this past hunting season, the one that we just came out of, and, uh, and, and there are some states that literally are just ending their season right now. So uh, I think that harvest is going to be down, you know, once all those numbers are in this past year. Um, much of the U.S. had unseasonably warm temperatures through you know, much of the firearm seasons, you know, well into December. And uh, if you have the early reports that, you, you know, the, of the agencies that can compile the data very quickly or any um, uh, product of, of what all the states are going to see, a lot of states were down a little bit. But we have to remember the reporting that they were down, you know, from the, the 20 into 21 season of which was a historic season where, you know, we shot all those deer. So what that means is as hunters, we tend to look at the headlines and, and allow that to dictate whether last season was good or not. Well, we were at historically high numbers going into this past season. So even if it was down, and, and I think it probably will have or show to be down, um, it was still a really high harvest this last year. So what that means is we have a lot of deer in the landscape. There are tremendous opportunities for, for hunters across the United States, you know, to go afield, you know, and, and fill the freezers with deer. So, uh, so that's good. And uh, so I'm going to have to remind myself that even though maybe we didn't see quite as many deer this past year as the year before, I think that was a lot more related to just, uh, you know, those weather patterns, you know, those uncommon weather patterns more so than actual deer numbers. Yeah. You know, it we're so it's so human to get wrapped up in like what have you done for me lately and numbers like what's the population number or what's the harvest number of this past year and then we have a tendency to 
maybe overreact sometimes to that. Probably just like, you know, we might overreact about, well, how did my stock portfolio perform over the last quarter? And if it's down 6% this quarter or this year, you know, it's a panic. But if you look at the long-term trajectory of the Dow or whatever over the course of 10 years, if you can weather the storms every once in a while, it's still going to keep on going. And I imagine oftentimes that's what we see with wildlife populations is that there'll be these little blips, but general trends are maybe more important. But I'm curious, you know, if if we – well, maybe that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what I'm trying to ask here, Kip, is is our harvest, so the total harvest number for a state or for the country, is that a good way to measure the quality of our deer herd? Or is there a better way that we can look at either our state's – or nation or region and determine like, Hey, is this in a good place or not? Cause it's easy to say more is better, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case is something like age structure or, or something else, a better kind of barometer of how good things are. It really is. And, and of course we want to look at what the total harvest is and, and that's an important number to look at, but it does not tell the whole story at all, as you alluded to. Um, there are some states that are trying to dramatically reduce deer herds. You know, they just have deer herds that are way higher than what the habitats can support. So really high buck harvest there, you know, while some hunters will look at that and say, man, this is great. The reality of it is that's not creating a healthy situation, you know, because those deer herds continue to climb, you know, higher than, you know, than they should be. You know, so what's what's a better way to look at is sure, let's look at the total number, that's fun, but let's dig into it a little bit and say, okay, let's break that total harvest down by antler bucks and antlerless deer. And let's make sure that those are balanced. Most states need to harvest more antlerless deer than bucks. You know, otherwise deer herds grow too abundant. So there are certain exceptions to that. Deer, you know, near northern New England, some of the deer in the western U.S., kind of at the fringes of good whitetail habitat. Uh, but for the most part, we need to be shooting more does than we do bucks each year. So take a look at that total harvest, but then let's break it down into the, the sex ratio of the harvest. That alone can, can give us some good information on health of that deer herd. And then if we can add in the age structure on both sides of that, that really gives us a good feel for what's going on. And, and fortunately, most state wildlife agencies do estimate the age structure of both the bucks and the antler side. So that gives us a good thing to be able to measure year after year after year. And it's the trends in those that are most important. You know, that lets us know, are we getting to where we need to be or not? And if so, man, that's great. And if not, hey, then let's correct that. And let's make some changes and then it'll allow hunters you know, to help us meet that plan and get us to where we need to be so that we do have very healthy deer herds. Yeah. And all of those trends seem to be pointing in the right direction as of this last report, right? Um, I know one of the things we talked about last year was that the doe harvest was down from in that last year when we discussed that the doe harvest was down, but it seems like that rebounded back above buck harvest this year, right? So that's a good thing. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the doe harvest had been down for several years in a row, and that was very concerning extremely concerning and uh, but yeah the the most recent one it has rebounded and for the first time in the past three hunting seasons we have now shot more antlerless deer than the antler bucks again which is very good that is a good situation for us so uh yeah there was there was a lot of very positive things that came out of that harvest so numbers were good the sex ratio of the harvest was good 
and age structure for both bucks and does was good. So uh, that, that lets us know that in many places, you know, we're in a really good spot relative to those gerards. Yeah. So what what do you think about the whole buck age structure story? I remember a handful of years ago, we talked about how yearling buck harvest was at the lowest rate ever. It was something like 32% or 33 or somewhere in that ballpark. And you, I remember you thinking that we likely were going to plateau there, be stuck around like that low 30s, give or take. Um, but now we're several years past that and it keeps dropping. What do you think about that? I think that I totally blew that one when we talked before. <laughs> I I vividly remember because we've been monitoring this since 1989. You know when it was over 60 percent of all the bucks shot were only one and a half, and have watched it just steadily drop and drop and drop. And man, when it hit about 33 percent, I remember thinking, you know, it's it's just it just can't go any lower. You know, hunters just won't let it go lower. You know, they're going to continue to take some yearling bucks, and you know, youth hunters, of course, all have the ability to do that. So uh, I, from from just a hunting culture standpoint, I really didn't think that would go below that. And, and I remember telling you that and telling others as well. And, and, and it turned out I was wrong. I was very wrong. It, it has continued to drop to where it is now to the lowest ever uh, at 26 percent. So essentially, of all the, the antlered bucks that we shoot today, you know, three out of four of them are, are at least two and a half years old. Only one is a yearling, and that is an incredible testament, you know, to, to what hunters have done to really move deer into older age classes, and uh, you know, provide a much more natural age structure for bucks. And uh, man, you know, you don't have to be in South Texas or the Golden Triangle of Illinois anymore to have the opportunity to hunt mature bucks. You literally can do that in every single state in the country that has whitetails today. How satisfying! Is that for you, Kip, as someone who who has been a part of that transformation over the last, you know, couple decades, really, and everything that the Quality Deer Management Association had been sharing and educating with people for so many years? I mean, so much of this can can be pointed as as you guys having a direct impact on how how does that make you feel to see what a night and day change has happened? Oh, it's extremely gratifying. Um, mostly because, you know, I, I'm, I'm first and foremost a deer hunter, you know, and I love to, to reap the benefits of that. And, uh, and it's so nice as I travel the country and, and work with hunters, you know, that, that they get to see that as well. And I, I can vividly remember back in the early 2000s, you know, when I would give talks about QDM and, you know, and uh, people, it's wherever I was, say I was in the north, say I was in Michigan. People say, oh, that works in the South. It doesn't work up here. I said, well, no, that's not true. You know, it, it can work here. You just need to, you know, apply it to, you know, this state's, you know, variables. And, you know, and then I'd go to, to Maine and they'd say, well, it works in the South. It doesn't work in New England. Well, that's not true. And I vividly remember I was in Nacogdoches, Texas, and uh, speaking at Stephen F. Austin uh, State University and uh, talking about QDM. You know, QDM was born in Texas. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I vividly remember a guy that always raised his hand. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, yeah, you know, you Yankee, what you're talking about, that might work up north, but that doesn't work down here. And I stopped and I said, I have absolutely heard it all now. (laughs) I have traveled this country and had people in the north tell me this, you know, but now this is the birthplace of the whole QDM movie. Al Brothers, the wildlife biologist in Florida, you know, who who is responsible for, for starting this. And now you're telling me it doesn't work here. So you know, what it was is just, you know, hunters just didn't want to change the way that they, their mindset was about hunting or, or their approach to what they were going to shoot or not. And, you know, fast forward 20 years and, 
you know, you look at kids that are hunting today, or you even look at adults, you know, through our field to fork programs, you know, adults who are starting now, you know, they can't even imagine, you know, when we talk to them about what it was like 20 and 30 years ago, that, that seems like, you know, we're talking about, you know, aliens or something because it's so different, <laughs> yeah. you know, than the standing crop of deer that we have today. So, uh, yeah, it, it's gratifying and it's mostly gratifying just because I love seeing people, you know, have success in the woods and, uh, you know, and just be so excited about the opportunities they have. Yeah. So, so 20 years ago, obviously these numbers looked so different. And now over the last couple of decades, we've seen this massive shift to now where, like you just described, only one out of every four bucks harvested across the country on average is a year and a half old. The rate of three and a half plus old bucks is higher than ever as well. So in a lot of ways, you know, I think people might be able to say, hey, you know, in implementing some form of quality deer management or improving the age structure of deer across America, mission accomplished. We've, we've really improved it to a degree. Um, so when you guys at the NDA, you know, obviously – couple of years ago, the QDMA and the NDA merged. You guys started rethinking some of your goals and, and issues and things you want to focus on. And now you've been doing that for a couple of years now. When you look forward now, Kip, and you're looking at, okay, what's the next big mission? I know you have a handful of different priorities, but for you personally, Kip, what do you see as, as that most important or most, um, most interesting moving forward? If if we can say mission accomplished on improving age structure and, and all the trickle down positive impacts of that, what's the next big mission that you hope that you guys and us as a community can start really driving forward? Is there something? There is. And the two that are right at the tip of my fingers that, that I enjoy working on one is, is making the, the general population uh, knowledgeable about the value of deer and then two, ensuring that, that we have a, a sustainable hunter base coming forward, you know, through our R3 efforts and our field to fork programs. So, uh, you know, as, as hunter numbers continue to decline, you know, we just have fewer families that are bringing hunters into the fold. They're like, fortunately, I do and you do, but, you know, you and I are the, you know, becoming the exceptions. So I get very excited about developing programs and working to ensure that people that didn't grow up the way you did or I did have an ability to be able to go hunting, you know, uh, later in life and then ensuring that folks understand just how important deer are to, uh, uh, you know, to America, you know, not just the hunters or anything, but truly yeah. how important they are to America. Uh, those are two big initiatives that we have. And, uh, those things get me really excited uh, to start work each day. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, 
and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Let's talk a little more about that whole idea of the value of deer. You mentioned that this is going to be one of the big priorities at the upcoming deer study group. Um, what's what's the angle with that or how how do you see us as a community being able to do that better or how as a organization is the nda plan to do that um i guess i'm curious number one if you want to elaborate just a little bit more about why that's important um and then secondly how do you think we can do that i think it's important because you know wildlife has such uh, an impact on all Americans, you know, whether you live in rural America or urban America, you know, wildlife uh, has an impact. And for the most part, it's a very positive impact. You know, maybe somebody, you know, loves watching birds at a feeder. Maybe they're not a hunter, you know, but they like that or they enjoy, you know, seeing wildlife, just wildlife viewing. Well, so much of that is paid for by deer hunters. Uh, we know that about 80% of all hunters in the United States hunt deer. And most of all of our wildlife management programs are paid for by hunters and in large part deer hunters. So that's important. And as we lose hunters, we lose funding for all of that wildlife. So, you know, whether you care about, you know, bobolinks or, you know, Kirkland's warblers or spotted salamanders or whatever it is, it's important to understand that they have a direct tie to white-tailed deer. And so, it's, we're, we're reaching a, a critical mass in the United States where we need more people to understand the value of those deer to ensure that we have sound funding programs moving forward. And, and this is especially true as CWD continues to spread. You know, given that we have 10 to 11 million deer hunters in the U.S., we are not going to solve CWD with 10 to 11 million people. However, there's a far larger base of people out there who, who are deer enthusiasts. You know, they like to see deer. They like to photograph deer. So as more of a base understands the value that deer have, um, that is how we will defeat things like C. 
CWD, like the funding issues relative to habitat management and hunter access. All of the stuff is intertwined. And uh, at one point, there was enough Americans that hunted that the hunter base was large enough to handle all these issues. And, and that's not the case anymore. And, and it actually hasn't been the case for a while. So the timing is, is extremely important right now that we start showing, you know, just how valuable deer are to Americans so that more people can then basically step up and help in this battle, whether it's disease, habitat loss, or, or anything else. So, so that, that's why we see this as being so critical and uh, why we made it the theme of the deer study group meeting next week and, and why we're putting so much emphasis into this. Does, does the value of deer hunting factor into that too? Is that part of what we need to help communicate as well? It's not just the deer that are valuable, but also our engagement with them and, and our side of things. Is that part of the story we need to tell? Oh, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, uh, I have some friends, you know, that, that love butterflies say, um, and I think that's cool. I like butterflies too, but none of my friends that like butterflies plant any type of food plot specifically for them, or at least nothing that's larger, you know, than, uh, you know, a 10 square foot area around their house. You know, those people are managing old fields. None of them are managing forested areas. None of them are pumping money into our wildlife program by buying guns or, you know, other hunting equipment. So uh, this is not a knock on, you know, those users at all. You know, God bless them. I'm glad they like that. But hunters are the ones, you know, the, to do the majority of this conservation work to ensure that we have the funding available and that we have these management programs. So, yeah, so hunters play a huge role in this. Um, you know, most people would realize that, uh, you know, the deer hunting just in the southeastern United States, deer hunters there spend over a billion dollars a year on land leased to deer hunt. That is a tremendous amount of money that's pumped into those eco local economies, you know, that fund a whole bunch of other things. You know, now do those people also turkey hunt and squirrel hunt and duck hunt? Yeah, probably. But that is, those are monies that can be identified specifically for deer hunting. So, yeah, I mean, hunters have provided this free public service to society for so long and we're glad to do it. You know, it, it's time that they get recognized for some of their efforts like that particularly at a time where, hey, you know, we need uh, a, a larger recognition of those efforts and some more help in many ways to make sure that we can continue to fund our wildlife management programs adequately as we go into the future. Yeah. So then what's what's uh, our role in that moving forward? People like you and me as hunters or or maybe the organizations like the NDA, what all can we do collectively to try to start you know, making sure that narrative is understood and, and showcasing the value of deer and deer hunters. Is there, is there any kind of action items that we can really rally around? Yeah, there are. And, uh, you know, it's about taking the, the information, you know, and being able to share it with, with, with our friends, you know, and others, you know, the, that we know and hunters are, you know, they like to share good information, but in many cases, you know, it's hard if we don't have good bite-sized pieces, you know, for them to be able to share, you know, now you, obviously you're, about this and you can you know describe this to people we need to provide that information for, for all hunters to easily be able to share with neighbors you know others at schools and you know sports teams and that type of thing and uh, and that's one of the reasons why we have helped uh, start the the southeast deer partnership which is which is a collection of state and federal agencies NGOs like NDA and some private entities that is looking at this project too, and um, 
promote the value of deer hunting in the southeastern U.S. Um, this is actually what my presentation uh, at the Southeast Deer Study Group is going to be on, talking about this project. And essentially, this has three phases. One is to, there's a research phase where collect all the information that's possibly out there on the value of deer, the value of deer hunting, economic data, habitat data, et cetera. Let's get this all in one place so we have. And actually, we are just finishing phase one of that right now. Phase two then is develop a, a PR and a marketing campaign to be able to share all this information. And that's where we are just moving into that. And then phase three will be, all right, let's actually implement that so that we can share this information with the general public, you know, not just hunters. And we're not trying to convince, you know, people who don't hunt to hunt. We just want them to understand the value of deer and hunters, what they provide to all of our wildlife programs. So that is the action item is, hey, let's let's create these PR campaigns so that we have this information to share and then let's broadcast it as widely as possible. So, you know, whether, you know, if you're a, a non-hunter or maybe you, you know, you like to look at birds or you like to look at wildlife or whatever, let's at least understand how this is all tied, you know, or, or the role that deer have in this. And uh, so, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, it, you know, we're in an exciting place with that right now. Over the next 12 months, you're going to see a lot of these public or these press releases and, you know, this whole PR campaign start to unroll. Very cool. So, you know, the second priority you mentioned, the second really important thing was was participation, right? So making sure people understand how valuable deer and deer hunting is important for that massive percentage of the um, of our country that doesn't hunt. But then also we want to try to increase the number of actual participants. Um, and, you know, that's been something that, that we've all talked about for a lot of years now. Um, and I think most everyone knows the basic story, like why it's important for us to continue passing along the hunting heritage and keeping folks engaged and making sure that our numbers don't plummet and that our, our voice doesn't disappear. Um, but over the last, I don't know, the last year or so, there have been a, a few somewhat high profile, um, rebuttals to that story. Some of them within my own company at Meat Eater, um, <laughs> people kind of saying, hey, it's actually getting too crowded. There's too many people out there. Why are we trying to get more hunters out there when everywhere you go, there's people bumping into people, COVID sent everybody to the outdoors. It's a mess. Uh, we're actually making things worse. Um, what's your take on those kind of contrarian opinions that I think are definitely the minority, but, but it's a it's a thing we're starting to hear from people now. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know exactly what you're, you're saying there. And, and I've listened to that information, you know, from me on those podcasts and, and heard those people debate that. And, 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 you know, I'm, I understand the, the crowding issue, um, as hunters, you know, like we don't want to, to be crowded when we're hunting, you know, we, part of the reason that we go you know, is, is to get away from crowds, you know, and, and to be with nature, to be a field and, you know, so it's quiet and serene. So, you know, we don't want to have a bunch of other hunters around us. And, and I'm the same way, you know, I never go hunting thinking, man, I hope I just run into hunters all day today. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, understanding the, the, necessity of hunters and why fewer hunters means less advocates for hunting and, and less you know dollars for funding that that's not good for any wildlife so i think that if we start talking about you know hey 
less hunters is better. I think that's, that's pretty short sighted on our part and pretty selfish. Um, we have fewer hunters today than in the past. So if today, if say we had, you know, twice as many hunters as we had 20 years ago, okay. Now I, I can see some of the arguments about crowding and let's have that conversation. But given the fact that we have way fewer hunters today than in the past, but to talk about crowding today, I, I don't, I don't buy that at all. Um, Partly because it, it, it's very different across the U.S. Um, and actually, I just finished an article looking at deer hunter densities on a per square mile basis for, for, for all the states in the country, or at least every state that would provide us their hunter, deer hunter numbers. And uh, you know, as a region, the, the western U.S. only averages one deer hunter per square mile. So, I mean, that, that's, that's not that many people. Yeah. Um, comparative speaking, you know, the Southeast has about four hunters per square mile. The Midwest has about five. The Northeast has nine. So uh, it, it's hard for me hunting in the Northeast where, well, my home state of Pennsylvania leads the country with 15 deer hunters per square mile. So it, it's hard, you know, for anybody, particularly in the East or the Midwest at those densities to then you know, look at, at the Western U.S. and think, man, you only have, you know, one deer hunter per square mile, you know, so suddenly there appears to be a lot of room for, you know, for more. And, yeah. and hey, I've hunted out West. I love it. I've ran into people there too and thought, gosh, I wish I could just get away from them. So I'm not saying it's a non-issue, but I'm saying for the future of our wildlife management programs and the future of hunting, uh, more hunters is the answer, not fewer hunters. Yeah. Now, I know when we chatted last year, there were these uh, initial reports of the COVID impact and sending more hunters to the woods. Um, seemingly, at least, we're hearing early reports of that. Same for fishing and, and all sorts of different outdoor recreation. Um, have you been able to get any sense of how that's continued to trend? Does that seem to be something that has continued on this year? Um, does that seem to be something that has reverted back to the mean? Uh, what's, what's your take on that? Have you heard anything more there? Um, not much. And, you know, and I think the data is not in on that yet. So, uh, last year, yeah, the big bump because of COVID some States, you know, sold a lot more licenses. Participation was up. Um, but it's, it's, it's funny because we need to realize it's, it's up relatively speaking. So it was up from the year before nowhere near what it was a decade ago or two decades ago. So, I mean, that's all relative to that. But right now, you know, many of these states are hoping that they could keep those hunters that they got in that bump. Um, They're waiting to see if that actually pans out or not. So, uh, you know, later this year, we'll have a better understanding once all that license sale data comes out, you know, and how many permits they sold and and all that. But uh, fingers crossed, I hope that we were able to to retain a bunch of those hunters. So uh, time will tell. Yeah. Now, do you know, Kip, I I don't know this. I'm sure the data is out there. I just have, I can't remember what it shows. Do you know what the trend is with bow hunter numbers? Is that rising specifically, or is that going down as well? That is rising, and um, it's certainly in part because of uh, increased opportunities for crossbows. You know, there's the majority of states today you can use a, a crossbow in the archery season, so that has played into that, as well as just uh, some of the expanded opportunities you know for archery seasons in states. Uh, my my home state's a good example. Historically, almost all the deer were killed during, you know, the two-week buck or rifle season. And most of those were killed on opening day and the first Saturday. Well, today, you know, we have a, a lot 
bone poison. You can use uh, crossbows in that. And today, um, almost 40% of our total deer harvest is taken during the archery season. So, uh, you know, what you have, and many of them, though, it's not like it's a whole bunch of new hunters. A lot of them are the same hunters just choosing to take advantage of opportunities to hunt when it's a little warmer and you have longer seasons. And so, you know, they're, they're putting venison in the freezer a little sooner. It hasn't dramatically changed the, you know, the number of deer that get shot. They're just shooting more of them a little earlier in the year. So, yeah. uh, so anyway, bow hunter numbers have climbed, but we monitor the percentage of the total deer harvest that's taken by bow hunters every year. And that's, it's this past year was 26%. That number has stayed pretty stable the last few years. Uh, 15 years ago, that number was only 15%. So uh, it, it grew to about a quarter of the total deer harvest, but has really leveled out right there. And uh, it hasn't changed much at all in the last four or five years. Yeah. So here's a hypothesis I have that I think maybe maybe can can speak to the feeling that many people have that the pressure is so much higher out there on deer. And, and I wonder that overall hunter numbers have declined pretty precipitously, but has the number of avid deer hunters, so like the diehard people like, like me or you who spend days and days and days and days out there, has that number increased significantly? So maybe we have way fewer in general, but what number of those people only headed out for the first two days of gun season? Um, but then you've got more people like me who hunt 50 days a year or 70 days a year. So the number of days hunted actually is higher because a smaller number is just doing it at a much more intense level. So that's why I asked about bow hunting because I, I think usually folks that bow hunt are spending more days in the field than folks that gun hunt. That's kind of a, many times those are people that want to add time to their season. They want to hunt all year round. They want to go more. They want to invest in it more. And so now compared to where we were 20 years ago, I, I'm assuming my assumption based on, just general sense of where things are is that there's a whole lot more people today that their life revolves around deer and their spending habits revolve around deer and they buy land or buy equipment or buy vacation days all around. Can I get out and deer hunt more and do this more? I'm, I'm wondering if that is part of why people feel like it's so much different now. That's why it feels like when they go on public land, it's crowded with tons of guys with, saddles or mobile hang-ons on their back because there's so many people that are diehard about it compared to 20, 30 years ago, even though we have lower total numbers. Does does any of that resonate with you? Do you think there's anything to that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, in the, the big national survey that they do every, what, four or five years, they, they always measure that uh, or provide data on, you know, you know, hunter avidity, you know, and the super rabbits and all that. Um, what's that's coming out right here later this year, I guess. Um, so anyway, I think that's a great theory. I think it's a really cool question. Uh, that is the data set the, or the only data set that I'm aware of that, that could answer that. So, uh, once that comes out, we'll have to take a look and see if that percentage of, you know, super rabbit hunters or avid hunters has changed over time because, uh, that, that certainly could given that, you know, there's more bow hunting opportunity now and, in that, the bow hunter spends far more days in the field than the average uh, firearm hunter does. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see that. So, so kind of okay. Taking the next step from that, then, if there is a general sense from some folks that 
stuff is, I think this is fair to say, I think most deer hunters, I'm going to, this is anecdotal, but I think generally there are complaints or concerns around, you know, no matter where you are, everyone complains about there being too much hunting pressure, whether it's in Pennsylvania where there's 1500 per square mile or in Montana where there's one, right? Everyone's going to, everyone's complaining about it in one form or fashion, whether it's warranted or not. Um, but this goes to, okay, whether or not you're happy with the number of hunters that there are, one thing that definitely would be good is if we could have more access, more public land or higher quality habitat in any of those places that you can get out to make sure that people still have good places to go. Um, since, you know, access is one of those things that's been harder and harder to come by over the last couple of decades as more land is being bought up for hunting, more land is leased out for hunting. And if you're not in those couple groups, you might be left out in the cold as free permission is shrinking um, and public land is increasingly being utilized. So I know that one of the goals Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe one of the stated kind of objectives for the NDA is to help improve access, habitat, and deer hunting on at least 1 million acres of public land by 2026. Uh, am I right on that? And then number two, yep, what's what's the game plan to do that? How are we doing that? How are you guys doing that? So, yes, you are correct. Uh, that That is uh, our goal, a million acres uh, you know, within that five-year period. And, and we're accomplishing that by working with the U.S. Forest Service and, and some other uh, partners. And essentially what happens is you know, we are able to get contracts to go in and cut timber on U.S. forest land um, and then use the money from that timber sale to enhance the, the habitat that's there and the access. So while we don't have the ability as an organization to go out you know, and buy a million acres of land and say, hey, you know, here's here's public land. You know, we want you to be able to go and use this. Um, we do have the ability to work with the Forest Service and others and take that public land and just make it far better for hunting. You know, uh, over mature uh, hardwoods and, and over mature softwood forests you know, provide very little for deer. But with good management, we can make those, you know, extremely high quality deer habitats. So that's what we're doing here, you know, with that. Changing up the age structure on some of those forests, enhancing the you know the woods, which then also allows us to do some stream work, uh, some road work to enhance access in, and and the goal is let's take what is there that's already public land hunters can use. It's just not real valuable. Let's take that and just make it better, and then provide ways that hunters can get in and actually use it. So this can absolutely help the crowding issue where, you know, hey, if you're in an area hunting public land and, you know, we all want to go to the area that's, that's the best habitat. Well, you know, if all of a sudden you have a lot of good habitat that's spread out, that just naturally is going to spread out some of that pressure, hunting pressure, hiking pressure, biking pressure, whatever the case is. So uh, that's going to be better for wildlife. It's going to be better for uh, hunters. And, uh, and it's going to be better for all the users on those public lands. So, yeah, we're, we're super excited about that project. It started this past year. And, uh, you know, the first uh, contract was in actually in Mississippi last fall to start cutting. We expect to be uh, cutting in six to seven different states during 2022. And we will just keep that number growing and spreading across the U.S. to be able to impact hunters uh, in more states and, and you know, eventually be all the way across the U.S. So very exciting. Now, is that something that regular people like me or anyone listening can in any way positively, positively contribute to, or is this outside of the influence of, of the average person? 
uh, I no, they absolutely can uh, can be involved with that. And, and the best way to be involved is one uh, you know, by being an NDA member, because you know they can then contact us. We can have a dialogue relative to whatever a certain forest is in their area. Uh, Matt Ross, our director of conservation, is the one that spearheads this project for us, and he's the one that works with all of these Forest Service for supervisors, you know, on these different areas. Well, Matt lives in New York. Matt travels the country for us, but, you know, he doesn't know, you know, all of the national forests in pick a state. Whereas, you know, our members in these different states or other deer enthusiasts, they certainly can contact Matt, share information with him, give him their, you know, opinions on different things. So that's a great way for them to be involved. Of course, they can also then be involved with uh, that national forest because those those forest shows they want that engagement, they want to hear from the public. So, uh, and the more input that they have, and or the more engagement by hearing people say, "Man, this is great! Thank you for cutting this, you know, timber in my backyard or in my state." You know, that is just more encouragement for the Forest Service to continue to increase this program and the amount of acreage that's in it. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of opportunity uh, for folks who, who want to get involved to do so and have a positive impact on the resource. Awesome. So I want to uh, pivot. I want to make a hard pivot to a, a piece of less exciting news, I suppose. Maybe not news, but it's a topic that's not often fun to talk about, but still important. Um, and that's the disease front. We mentioned earlier about where things you know, had been pretty bad with EHD, you know, 70 years ago or so. We haven't had as bad of an outbreak like that recently. But of course, there's the looming CWD cloud that continues to uh, kind of rain down on us slowly, but surely year after year. Um, can you give us the the cliff notes on what's new on the CWD front, both good and bad. Um, where do you see things headed in that direction as well? Sure. Um, uh, CWD is now in 29 states in the U.S. Um, we ended uh, the year with 27 states, and right off the bat in 2022, we added two more, uh, Alabama and Louisiana. So 29 states is continuing to spread. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the bad side of that. Um, the good side is we know more about the disease today than we have in the past. And, you know, that's encouraging. There's a lot we don't know yet, but you know we continue to learn more. Um, hunters understand more about it today than in the past, and that is good because the the best things that we can do to keep the disease from spreading is to stop moving live deer and stop moving the high risk parts of deer that we shoot. The high risk parts are the eyes, the brain, the spleen, the backbone. So. You know, is there something that hunters can do? Absolutely. You know, there's something that hunters, we can do every single day, and that's to not move those parts and to make sure that all of our hunting buddies know, hey, don't move these parts. And and for folks listening, if they're, if they're not sure why that's a big deal, you know, say you go to, uh, to Wisconsin, you shoot a deer, say it has CWD, and you take the whole thing back home to Michigan, you, you know, you process it at your house, throw the carcass out back. Well, that carcass, that's the high-risk parts, the backbone, et cetera. Other deer that come in contact with that can then contract the disease. So that's why it's a big deal, and we should not be moving those parts. So there was a time a few years ago when it was pretty bleak on the CWD front. There was no good news coming out. There was no positive you know, results from any research, and, and that's starting to change now. You know, we are seeing some small victories. 
relative to states holding prevalence rates very low. That's a good thing. We know that more hunters now abide by the rules and they're not moving those parts. That's a good thing. So, uh, you know, is it, is it a difficult fight? Heck yeah. That's one of the most difficult fights you know, we've ever had for deer. But, uh, but man, take a look at our forefathers, you know, back, you know, when there was only a couple hundred thousand whitetails in the whole country, you know, that was a big deal and, and hunters saw that. So, do I think we're going to solve the CWD issue? I do. I'm a firm believer that we are. So um, I think it's the single biggest challenge right now facing the future of deer hunting. And um, that's not just my opinion. The vast majority of wildlife managers, that is what they believe. There are some out there who are still think this is fake news and that, you know, it's not a big deal, but it's very clear. CWD is a huge deal for the, for the future of deer hunting. And uh, fortunately, we are, you know, starting to get our hands around it a little bit in a few states, and that provides hope for, for all those others out there. So um, I, I, th- I think we will get it. I think we're going to beat it. It's just going to be a long fight. This is not something that we'll defeat, you know, in the next year or two. We're in this for the long haul. But uh, as we continue to learn more um, and get more hunters engaged on this, I think that is the path to beating it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've heard over the years has been, you know, the fact that we don't have a ultimate solution yet, right? We don't have a cure. We don't have a way to really stop it. All we can hope to do is slow it um, until we figure something out, right? The thing has always been like, we need more funding. We need more research. We need to get answers because there's still so much we don't know. Um, there's, There's possibly some hope on the horizon when it comes to new funding, right? Can you talk to me about where we stand with the CWD Research and Management Act, I believe is the correct title. Is that right? And where does that stand? That's right. Yeah. What do we need to know there? That is a big one. You know, and this would be a huge win for 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 wildlife, uh, for hunters, uh, for for wildlife agencies. Uh, Representative Kind um, has been a big advocate for this for a while, and uh, we we have worked straight with him, helping uh, draft some of this. And, uh, and some of the other partner organizations. Essentially, what this would do is um, CWD is very state wildlife agencies don't have specific budgets and they don't have federal funding to pay for testing, for monitoring, for surveillance, that type of thing. So what this act would do is dedicate funding to the states for that. Because um, think about this, you know, every state that has the disease, you need to monitor for it. But when you spend the money to do so, you know, there's not an extra pool of money for it. So you're taking money away from other programs like, you know, habitat work or access or land acquisition or, or what the case is. Well, the CWD Management Act would provide funding to help monitor the disease and allow agencies to use some of their other budgets for all of those other things that as hunters, we want them to use that money for. So uh, this is closer than ever to being passed. And uh, that's something that all sportsmen and women can get behind and encourage their legislatures to support that. Because if that is passed and that is voted in, that would be a huge win for anybody that cares about wildlife. And and how close is that to to come up to vote? Uh, how how can we make a difference on that front if that's coming up here pretty soon? Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly how close it is to a vote. Um, it's a you know anything that's legislative can be can be difficult to follow like that. Um, I do know that you know it is something that's on our radar right now. Um, there's time for for all sportsmen and women, you know, to let their legislator know that they support that. Um, I, and sooner rather than later would be good. 
I'm not saying they don't they have to do it today, but hey, let's do it this week or this month, you know, and not wait any longer. Uh, the more support that, that we have from our American public about this, the more likely it is to pass. You know, there's no downside to, to any uh, of our wildlife agencies or any funding mechanism because of it. So this is something that, that's very much needed, um, has not been done uh, for almost 20 years now. And uh, so if we could get this passed, this would be a huge win for all of us. That's great. Is there anything else on the, you know, coming down the legislative pipeline this year that you guys are really focusing on that, that we as hunters should be paying attention to? We are huge advocates uh, of the national, of the grasslands act. Um, we talked earlier about all that CRP land that was lost and habitat that was lost. You know, that would be grasslands is a huge thing for wildlife you know, across the U.S. So uh, that's another big piece of, of federal legislation uh, that, that we're working hard uh, to, to get passed. So uh, that's uh, if, yeah, if, if anybody in here wants to get involved with something else or engage or let their legislator know, hey, make one phone call. Let them know you support both of those. Uh, wildlife will thank you for it. Excellent. So, so speaking of then, you know, making that phone call or email, you know, as we're looking forward into the rest of 2022, you know, we do this every year. There's always a few action items I, I like to try to put in front of folks and, and offer up as ideas for things that we could be doing. What are a few ideas that you have for hunters this year in 2022 uh, to make a positive impact on the future of deer and deer hunting? Can you give us some some ideas, some inspiration, some some action items? Sure. Um, call your legislator and uh, and support uh, <laughs> the CWD and Grasslands Act. That would be great. Uh, plan to take somebody to the woods. You know, somebody that hasn't had that opportunity before. Uh, it doesn't even have to be during deer season. Just invite them out. You know, for a walk. Um, you know, share some of your knowledge of nature with them. Uh, some people get so nervous about, oh, I couldn't mentor somebody because I don't know enough. Or, well, you know what? In many cases, you know, you, you absolutely do. You, you don't have to know everything. You know, just the fact that you can take somebody out and talk to them, you know, about, oh, this, you know, describe what a tree is to them or, you know, a certain tree or, or talk to them about something you know about the stream or about a certain bird that you see. You know, in many cases, it just takes something simple like that to show for them, you know, like, Ooh, how interesting this can be and how cool this can be. And Hey, we can, we can gain another advocate for, for our wildlife programs. So that is a, is a great thing to do. And lastly, uh, get engaged with, uh, with something that's going on with the state wildlife agency, you know, uh, can let the local biologists know about a certain rule that they like or dislike, um, share maybe a sighting of a, of a special animal or a bird that they've seen, you know, anything like that to, to be involved or be engaged is good. Uh, th- there was a point in time where you know, there was very little engagement with our state wildlife agencies at all. Uh, that's very different today, and, and that's a good thing. We're in a much better place today with how our local biologists and technicians and you know, law enforcement agents you know, deal with, with the public on a much more regular basis you know, and hear about you know, maybe they saw, you know, saw a bald eagle here today. You know, it's the first time we've seen one you know, ever, or, ooh, you know, I saw this other bird, or Whatever the case is, you know, any type of a relationship or of a, of a working relationship like that can go a long, long ways, you know, to, to help in uh, our wildlife programs. So, yeah. yeah, so get involved, you know, support some legislation, take somebody uh, to the woods and uh, um, get involved with the state wildlife agency. Those, those would be three great things that we could do. Yeah, I love it. It's funny. I was just looking into this myself and I was just Googling what kind of volunteer opportunities there are uh, within Michigan with uh with our Department of Natural Resources and see if there's any opportunities to help, you know, work on public land or improve habitat anywhere, something like that. 
And I think there was something like 15 different projects like that looking for volunteers just within like a three-month window. There was that many different opportunities all across the state where they were looking for people to help out. Um, that was just very eye-opening to me that, hey, there's there's stuff going on and people, you know, people are needed. So, you know, that's a great way to get out there, kind of really dig your hands into the dirt and get involved, make a real a real difference tangibly and uh, meet some like-minded people too. That'll uh, who knows, maybe make new friends, new hunting buddies, something cool like that down the road. So it seems like a, like a win-win in, in a lot of ways. Hmm. Well, Kip, I, uh, I just am always appreciative of your time. I'm always appreciative of, of getting this insight from you and, and knowing that there are people like you on the inside fighting the good fight to make sure we've got deer and good places to deer hunt and uh, and leaders within the deer hunting community. So so thanks for that, Kip. And I guess the last thing would just be, can you give us a reminder on exactly how we can get involved with the National Deer Association? Sure. Uh, can, you can go right to, to deerassociation.com. Um, take advantage of any of the free resources that we have there, you know, relative to, to hunting or, or habitat enhancement. Um, hopefully we could, we could convince somebody to join become a member and help us out. Uh, at the very least they can go there and, uh, and download uh, our 2022 deer report. It's a free download. Take a look at how their state compares to the neighboring states or others in their region or, or others anywhere in the country relative uh, to, to deer hunting. So uh, we'd like to share the information, you know, more information in hunters' hands uh, we see as a, as a great opportunity. So, uh, yeah, we encourage anybody to go there and uh, take a look at what we got and uh, use anything that can uh, help them and enhance uh, their opportunities to field. Terrific, Kip. Well, uh, I I took a look at that report, of course, myself, and uh, my ugly mug is on the cover, so I warn everyone uh, that's, not, <laughs> that's not a highlight, but uh, there is a lot of great information there. I definitely encourage folks to go and check it out. Um, a wealth of a wealth of resource there. So thank you, Kip, for that work and for chatting today. Absolutely, and, and I think that's a perfect cover. You know, uh, over the years we have done different covers. You know, with big bucks and smaller bucks and does and fawns. There's been lots there, and uh, you know, and I thought that one captures perfectly, like really where we are today as a deer hunting community. You know, where where you are mentoring somebody else, or you're bringing a new hunter into the fold. You know, it's a harvest opportunity. But the focus isn't just on the animal, you know, it's on, you know, the actual involvement of you two in your field, the deer is there with you. So there's a lot of pieces of that, that, uh, that cover that were chosen specifically because of, of what they embrace. Yeah. And uh, so I think that puts deer hunting and deer management in a really good light for, for where we are in 2022. Yeah, it did capture a great moment that, that certainly is representative of uh, a lot of good in uh, where we are in deer hunting. So uh, I feel... Yeah. Super thankful I could have, could be involved with that. All right. Well, thank you for obviously being involved with that and uh, for, for what you do for Wildlife Mark. And uh, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. Absolutely, Kip. Let's do it again soon. All right. That's a wrap. Good stuff. Make sure, as Kip mentioned, if you're not already a member of the National Deer Association, I highly recommend it. They do a great job of keeping you informed. They've got a terrific magazine. They send action alerts when there are important issues in which we need to make our voices heard. Uh, all good stuff. Easy to get signed up. Just head to DeerAssociation.com. So thank you again. And until next time, stay wired to hunt.
outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill.